This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 220, Man of the People. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week, we look at an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart from messages and morals. And if someone has to die to make that happen, well, understand, it's for the greater good. Yes, sometimes... Wait, what? This week, Man of the People, the one where the heroic Alcar saves the day. Despite the meddling of his crone of a mother, his crone of a ship's counselor and the far-too-straight-laced captain. You scare me. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but before that, let us talk about food. Hey, we could just skip the show and talk about food for 45 minutes. <laughs> you wanna? Yeah. No, no, uh, more specifically, <laughs> and let's not do this for 45 minutes, but let's do this. Uh, let's talk about the delicious food that comes straight to your door. Your door, actually, John, uh, yeah. from Blue Apron. Yeah, it's, it's super cool. You tell your replicator or your computer to go to blueapron.com slash mission log. And before you know it, you will have all the ingredients and detailed recipes delivered to you to create amazing meals. And I know a lot of you are saying delivered to me, but I live in the boonies. I live in the sticks. I live by the ocean. Uh, Blue Apron actually delivers to 99% of the U.S. So if you think you're too far out... Hey, man, you may be far out, but you're not too far out for Blue Apron. <laughs> uh, their meals, by the way, uh, come out to less than $10 per person per meal. Now, Blue Apron does all the hard work, delivering perfectly proportioned seasonal ingredients. So you won't have too little of stuff. You won't accidentally buy too much and throw stuff away. So uh, you're saving money and, uh, and, uh, and you're wasting less. Now, this is not ad speak. This is me saying that I have genuinely enjoyed everything that I've cooked from Blue Apron. Everything is perfectly fresh and ready to go. I decide what I want, start prepping, and in no time, I have a home-cooked meal. There's something really satisfying about that. And most importantly, it saves me a trip to the grocery store, the bane of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> and there is plenty of stuff for people to try. Uh, you can choose from a variety of new recipes each week or let Blue Apron's team pick for you. Recipes are not repeated within a year, so you won't be eating the same thing week after week after week. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Seriously, don't. Just start today at blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show. And a huge thanks to you people for getting in touch with us. Wait, what? I'm sorry? You've not gotten in touch with us yet? Well, let me tell you how to do it. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you would like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, 
we turn things over to MC 900-foot trivia master, John Champion. <laughs> All right, here we go. Today's episode, Man of the People, is written by Frank Abatimarco. Now, it's important to note that this one episode was cobbled together because they had to change the shooting schedule. So the production staff thought that they were going to produce Relics next, uh, but the schedule changed and this one was pushed forward. So everyone on staff had a hand in it, but Frank pulled the pieces together. Now, Frank came in as a supervising producer at the beginning of Season 6. He had previously worked on a handful of shows, including the reboot of Mission Impossible in the late 80s. Uh, it was directed by Wienrich Kolbe, and uh, he last directed TNG with Cost of Living. And I'm sorry to say that uh, this marks an important moment, Ken. Uh, this is the last that we have seen of Marvin Rush on Next Gen. So as you know, I'm a huge fan of his, and I love what he brought to the look of Next Generation. Uh, everyone else apparently also loved him so much that they took him away from Next Gen and put him on the production of Deep Space Nine, where he would work as director of photography on their first two seasons. So now we have Jonathan West taking over as the main director of photography for the series. Prior to this, he was working on the series Erie, Indiana, and he was also a camera operator way back in the day on The Wrath of Khan. Now, in this episode, we have a ship at the beginning called the Dorian. Might tip you off a little about the story that's coming. It's gray, in case you didn't notice the color of the ship. Ah, I have a painting of that ship, actually, in my closet. Really? How nice. <laughs> you should check on it every now and then and see how it's doing. Yeah, maybe so. Um, now, there is a mention of Ensign Janeway in this episode when the computer reads out Deanna's schedule. Don't get too excited, though. We're not breaking the timeline. We assume that this is not Captain Janeway, who may or may not be a person we'll meet somewhere down the road. Um, you could maybe guess that it is a relative of Captain Janeway. But anyway, it's widely accepted that Lucy Boyer is playing the role of Ensign Janeway in Deanna's counseling session, but that character is never actually named on screen. So Janeway remains a mystery. Now, Deanna, well, she has a dress. <laughs> well, she has several <laughs> outfits, but uh, there is a very revealing dress which makes an appearance in this episode. Remember that fat Ferengi? In Unification 2. He wore it better. He wore it so much better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you go to People Magazine, you see him next to each other. <laughs> now, uh, one of the women at his table was wearing that same dress and uh, got used here for Deanna. Now, a handful of guest stars to talk about. George Wallace. No, no, not, not that George Wallace. And... No, definitely not that George Wallace. Uh, this George Wallace plays Admiral Simons, who we see on a monitor. A highlight of his long career, he was the first actor to portray Commando Cody in the Republic serials in the early 1950s. Says you. I'd say the highlight of his career was playing one of the judges and defending your life. Uh, sure. One of my absolute favorite <laughs> movies. And every time we come across somebody who's like tied to that show or tied to that movie in yep. this show. Then you get very excited about it. Yeah. I have to mention that he, he was the one wearing the Casio watch in the afterlife. Oh, that's good. You know, I mean, I'll give it to you there with defending your life. But in defending your life, if I'm not mistaken, he was not wearing a bullet shaped helmet and a uh, rocket pack. Well, we only saw him in the courtroom. Okay, well, true. Yeah, and it is the afterlife. You can kind of do whatever you want. Exactly. Yeah. 
Uh, Chip Lucia plays Alcar. Charles Lucia is mainly known for soap operas, but he's done just about everything in TV, including a guest role on Galactica 1980. Yes, that amazing show. And uh, we will see him again in Voyager and on Enterprise. Susan French plays Alcar's mother, Maylor, and uh, she was born in 1912, primarily worked in theater, and then took her first professional on-camera role in 1965. She had a small but crucial role in the 1980 movie Somewhere in Time as the older version of Jane Seymour's character, Elise, and uh, Susan French passed away in 2003. Finally, Leva is played by Stephanie Erb, still working constantly today. Stephanie has done just about everything from sitcoms to commercials to films. She may not be back for more Star Trek, but this episode is special since it marks her very first professional on-camera performance. Deanna is older than she has ever been, and now she is even older, and now she is even older, and now she is even older. She is older than she has ever been, and now she is even older, and now she is older, still. Prologue. The Enterprise shows up near Rekag Seronia, just in time to rescue Ambassador Alcar, whose ship is under attack. The ambassador was on his way to negotiate a peace between the, oh, oh, that's convenient, the Rekags and the Seronians. His ship, the Dorian, is just a little transport that has taken some damage, and the captain of that ship asks Picard if he can help out by taking the ambassador and his guest aboard the Enterprise. No problem. Deanna Troy goes to meet them in the transporter room. There's the gentlemanly ambassador, Vess Alcar, and his elderly mother, Sev Maylor. She immediately lashes out at Deanna, assuming she's attracted to Alcar, and leaves her with a warning to stay away from him. Act 1. Alcar gives Picard the lowdown. He's concerned about traveling on the Enterprise since it is an armed ship. Too bad, though. The Admiral in charge from Starfleet insists that the Ambassador stay on board since another transport ship would be an easy target. Fair enough. While he's on board, Alcar will take advantage of the amenities, maybe some time in a fitness class like Worf's Tai Chi. Everyone's following the steps, and Alcar has his eye on Deanna's form in particular. They banter a little, a bit of innocent flirting. There's talk of negotiating Tai Chi, negotiating tactics, being an empath. Alcar is, but only with his own kind. Then they arrive at his quarters, and there's Sev, still in such a mood. She wants to know if the two have mated yet. It's a bit uncomfortable all around, and Sev tells Deanna if she does mate with him, she'll regret it for the rest of her life. A little later, Riker shows up at Deanna's cabin for a round of crew evaluations. She's distracted, though, sensing intense, malevolent emotions from Alcar's mother. Oh, nothing to worry about any longer. She's dead now. The call came from war from the ambassador's quarters. Alcar asks Deanna if she will join him in a mourning ritual, since she's an empath. He produces two stones, they each hold one, and he begins a funerary incantation. The stone in his hand glows, then the glow jumps to the stone in Deanna's hand. A look of shock crosses Deanna's face, while a look of relief comes to Alcar. Act 2. Deanna looks at herself in a mirror like she almost doesn't recognize herself, then she asks Siri to cancel her appointments for the day. In sickbay, 
Dr. Crusher wants to perform an autopsy on Sev, but Picard insists she can't since Ambassador Alcar expressed his wishes that they do not. It's a tradition thing. Still, it irks Beverly since she sees no reason other than age that Sev would have died. And there's a lot of neurotransmitter residue that seems peculiar. Deanna goes back to Tai Chi, this time alone, and she's really not feeling herself. Well, um, okay, let me rephrase that. She's feeling herself. It's just that she's not necessarily acting like herself. She goes for a visit with Alcar, and she's awfully flirty. Way flirty. In fact, she's maybe ready to skip the flirtation and get to know Alcar more intimately. Alcar seems a little uneasy and sends her away. Deanna is not one to be brushed aside. She trots off to the turbo lift and on the next floor is joined by Ensign Handsome. A smile, a nod, cut to the exterior of the Enterprise. When Riker shows up at Deanna's quarters a bit later to go over the crew reviews again, she's quite relaxed and Ensign Handsome is doing his imitation of Kirk in Wink of an Eye. Riker is ready to get down to work, but Deanna senses he might be a little jealous? Nope, he insists, totally not but the empath is pretty sure he is. It's not a conversation Riker wants to get roped into. The crew reviews will have to wait yet again. Act 3. Arriving at Rekag Seronia, things are taking a turn for the worse. There's fighting, the ceasefire has been broken, but really, what's Deanna up to? She's back at work as a counselor, talking to a woman from the crew who is very concerned that she's being unfairly overlooked for the good job she's doing. Deanna gives her the ultimate pep talk, which goes something like, Ugh, are you still talking? Get it together already and stop whining. Next patient. Down in engineering, Beverly and Jordy are looking over the biofilter log from when the late Sev Maylor beamed up. Since she still can't do an autopsy, Beverly is comparing those readings with her tricorder readings shortly after death. Readings that show neural deterioration way off the charts. And again, she can't really look into the problem without looking directly into Sev Mailer's head, which, as we know, has been forbidden by Alcar and backed up by Picard. A bit later in 10 Forward, Deanna shows up, having slipped into something a bit more... something. Her hair has a gray streak, and she's showing a bit more skin than usual, and she has got swagger by the gallon. She starts accusing Alcar's cohorts of jealousy and lust before Riker can pull her away. Safely removed to her quarters, Deanna then tries to cozy up to Riker, and he's kind of sort of resisting until a kiss turns into a scratch right across his face. Act 4. With only a little time passing, Deanna's looking worse for wear. She's older now. Alcar is heading to negotiations without her, which sends Deanna into a kind of desperate rage. Meanwhile, at New U, Riker is having his wounds attended to by Dr. Crusher, and while he's there, he explains that Deanna is seriously out of control. And when we say seriously, we mean seriously. At that exact moment, she's following the team of negotiators into the transporter room where she confronts Alcar. When Picard tries to stop her, Deanna straight up pulls a knife and stabs him in the shoulder. With security called, the delegates proceed to Rekag Seronia, and Deanna is taken to sickbay where she's restrained with a force field and finally given a sedative. What Dr. Crusher finds is interesting, if a little obvious. 
finding high levels of neurotransmitter residue in Deanna just like in Alcar's mother. If only she could do an autopsy to see if there's any correlation. Okay, okay, this time Picard gives in. Cut her open. Alcar's mother, not Deanna. So, here's something weird. Sev Maylor's internal organs are not those of a 93-year-old woman, and her DNA is not a match for Alcar. The mystery is getting deeper about what is happening to Deanna, who will probably die if nothing is done. Picard has no choice but to confront Alcar. The situation on Rekag Saronia is tense with negotiations breaking down, but Alcar finally comes clean with Picard. No, Maylar was not his mother. And yes, he may know something about Deanna's condition. Alcar has a special power. He can take all of his negative thoughts and emotions and transplant them into someone else. It helps him stay cool, calm, and collected in the high-stress world of negotiating. It may not sound fair, but what is the life of one or two when millions could be saved? Picard won't have it. He's taking Alcar back to the Enterprise to release Deanna, but Alcar has no intention of going. Leva, a young woman in Alcar's group, comes in to drag Alcar back to the negotiating table and firmly orders that Picard and Worf will leave. Act 5. While Worf and Geordi work on a way to take down the transporter shield on the planet, Dr. Crusher must come up with a way to break the psychic bond between Alcar and Deanna. If she doesn't, Deanna will die. And Deanna's death seems to be the only thing that could stop Alcar. So, we'll kill Deanna, okay? Well, not really. Dr. Crusher will give her something that can be reversed, but it's all in a pretty short window. They've got to be sure that Alcar breaks the bond with her in that time, and there's also a pretty big risk that he'll try to dump his negative emotions onto whomever is convenient. Hey, speaking of which, where's Leva right about now? It's official. Dr. Crusher calls the time of death, and Alcar is so smug about her death having purpose and the fact that the Federation has basically said that he'll have a safe escort back home. Now time is of the essence. If you assume Alcar is going to try to pull the same emotion dump on Leva, you would be right. Out come the stones and the incantation. Meanwhile, Deanna is being revived, but they can't rescue Leva until Deanna is totally safe. Once she is, Leva is beamed away, leaving Alcar looking shocked and considerably older. He's aging rapidly, and in sickbay, Deanna's turning back into herself. Fewer wrinkles and all that hair. The rapid aging has killed Ambassador Alcar. A sign of relief goes through the crew that Deanna will be all right. In her quarters later, Deanna tells Riker that she's relieved to be herself again. Everything from her perspective the last few days were like watching a holodeck simulation of herself. Will's okay with that. He says he'll be by her side when she's old and gray. The end. I have two questions about Alcar. Okay. Is he Armis's cousin? Mm. And is he George Romney's illegitimate son? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure. Go sh- back and look. He looks a bit like Mitt Romney, but if you go back and look at pictures of George Romney, yeah. Mitt Romney's father, yeah. holy cow. I mean, he might... George Romney may actually be doing the Dorian Gray thing. He's, he's, he's got that look of a statesman, you know, that's, uh, that, that's he doesn't thing. just have the look of a statesman. He yeah. has the look of a particular statesman, a, a <laughs> former presidential candidate and a former governor of Michigan. Wow. He looks like George Romney. Wow. I'm just saying that's, that's pretty incredible. Now, now, you may ask how it is. I know so much about what George Romney looks like. 
Uh, and I will just say because the internet and not because mm-hmm. of time travel or, you know, some sort of aging something or other. Nope, nope. Would never accuse no. you of that. Yeah. No. I love sci-fi technology, like the thing that Dr. Crusher uses to erase the lacerations on Riker's face. I, I love it because we take for granted that this is a thing in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just you, you assume like, well, if it's a future thing and Dr. McCoy has got it, we're just we're going to have this in the future. And I, I'm not kidding you. Maybe three days ago, I read an article about using existing fat cells in skin to regenerate skin after a wound rather than letting scar tissue form. Like, this is literally happening. This is new thing that says, well, normally when somebody gets cut and you have scar tissue and you can tell because, you know, it's a little raised and there's no hair growing there. But now we've got a way, kind of in the experimental phase, but but proven to work, where you can take fat cells and make them act like skin cells. So no more scars. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> that is pretty yeah. neat. The problem yeah, is right? I, chicks dig scars. So now what do we do? Mm. Well, that'll be a new industry. We'll have a new thing. Like if you want scars, like, yeah, that's from my saber duel, that one on my face. You know? Right. Then you, you go to the scar guy to get that. Yeah. Or you just get in the saber yeah. duel. I mean, you know. Right. It's probably yeah. cheaper. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not as sanitary, but, you know, because how, yeah. how do you tell the story? Oh, yeah, I had this scar put there to impress you. <laughs> so i gotta say i think one of us is actually being promoted fingers crossed could be you could be uh-huh. me i don't know which but i think one of us is getting promoted from peeling potatoes because that guy that mm-hmm. Riker found in troy's quarters is really gonna need some boring punishment duty to do oh yeah, yeah. So, boy, that's right so you think about mm-hmm. which part of the ship you want to serve on and i'll think about which part of the ship i want to serve on yeah because one of us won't be in the galley next week that's a good point. And man, and it's right during crew review time, too. <laughs> I know. That's, Although, yeah. it's going to be a split decision there, because I think Riker's going to be like, no, I don't think he plays well with others. And Troy will be like, oh, no, I think he plays very well with others. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is the problem. When, when you have a show like Star Trek, and we're only shown the, you know, the one 48-minute segment out of the week that something interesting happened. It's all those days in between we don't get to see. Yeah. And they're going through, like, a thousand people, and the well, oh, here's Innocent Handsome. Um, what is he? <laughs> oh, you know, I remember there was an opening on the Melbourne that would be great for him. <laughs> and the um, opening on the Melbourne yeah. was, like, in the hall, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, exactly. I have no problem with that. It's interesting. You call him Ensign Handsome. I call him mm-hmm. uh, Kurt Russell Light. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's not to say that Kurt Russell Light would not be handsome. No, no. Kurt Russell's a handsome man. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's talk just for a moment about that Riker and Deanna relationship, because we are. Um, we've seen over and over again that they are Friends with Benefits. I, I think this might have been the most Friends with benefits episode that we've seen. Um, they care deeply for each other. I, I like kind of that coda mm-hmm. in the episode. Um, I, I still feel like this could have been one of the great deeply explored concepts in Next Generation, but we only get hints of it. And, and maybe it's best to not go too far in a family-friendly TV show from the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, it's just there. And, and that's something that we get to pick up doing this show the way that we get to do it just, you know, week after week after week after week. 
seeing this progression and the way their relationship evolves it, it's it's really fascinating somebody somebody should write a book about the uh, the sexual politics of next generation <laughs> let me ask you a question um yeah do you think that he was not bothered by kurt russell being there i mean what was actually because obviously Riker was bothered in that scene the question i have is was he bothered by you know young guy there or was he bothered by the fact that Deanna wasn't working? Because, I mean, he's like, he's like, come on, we got stuff to do here. I mean, she's, had he come in and dude was walking out and then she's like, all right, let's get to the reviews. Would he have been fine? Right. Because, I mean, you've got two things going on. Not only is young dude leaving, but then Deanna's really throwing it in Riker's face that young dude was there. I mm-hmm. mean, she's mm-hmm. the one who won't let it go. Yeah, I, I had the exact same question in my mind. Had this been any other situation where she was in her right mind or or reverse it? And, and it's Riker because we know that Riker likes, you know, the ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could very well have been another situation where Riker is entertaining a young lady in his quarters and Deanna comes in to do the crew review. And all things being equal, if one of them says to the other, hey, we're cool, right? Yeah, we're cool. Let's move on. That, you know, that would have been a very different thing. But I think your point is key here that it's Deanna not in her right mind, but really pushing Riker and rubbing this in his face. Yeah, that's the uncomfortable thing. There are a couple of points that you can point to. There are a couple of instances that you can point to, though, where Deanna is not going to be okay with it. But the problem is, this is not all being written by one person or is it all being guided by one person? So like uh, not even yeah yeah I'm thinking like uh, the episode where um, <laughs> I can't think of, I, I can't even think of the word right now and that's so ironic once I actually come up with the word okay the amnesia episode yes that honestly seriously just happened okay so the amnesia episode where nobody knows who they are or why they're there okay and so Riker and Roe end up together and then yeah. at the end of the episode. Um, um, uh, Troy is obviously upset that Riker was with yes. Ro. And then there's yes. another time that it happened to, oh, when when uh, Riker came back from Risa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have I ever yeah. told you about this? Have I ever told you about that? Have I ever told you about the Horda? Mm-hmm. And, and Troy is like, yeah, you mentioned it. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know if that is. I don't know if that's... I mean, because those are both actually... Well, not that one. The one where Troy was upset about... Um, Riker talking about Rice so much was actually a funny moment. Um, mm-hmm. The one with Roe did not feel like a funny moment. It actually kind of annoyed me. Yeah. And I don't know, like, we have this thing where on the one hand we want to try to, like, draw a line uh, through the characters all the way through the arc. But then uh, you've got different showrunners, you've got different directors, you've got different writers. You've got many hands in writing one particular episode sometimes. So it's kind of hard to decide any one thing based on even everything that's come with these characters to this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's all we're left to do is to sort of pick up the pieces and try to make it fit into a straight line. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it doesn't always work like that. But, you know, what we're doing is kind of picking apart the most interesting pieces of that and, and see if we can synthesize something about their relationship from that. You know, and, yeah. and this was a pretty interesting one, and it, and it left you and me with the same question in the end: What was exactly the source of frustration and hint of jealousy there? Yeah. So, good, good question. Thanks. Um, uh, the scene, that scene with Deanna giving advice, is just awesome. Mm, yes. 
some uh, sort well, of I love that scene. Yeah. I think that scene is absolutely fantastic. And I know it's supposed to be yeah. brutal and it is yeah. absolutely brutal uh, and it's hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. I wish I, I wish it had been a guy that she was doing that to instead of a woman. Mm-hmm. Because the mm-hmm. fact that she's telling a woman to be a good little lady for a guy who is who's her superior yeah. actually kind of propagates a sexist attitude. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still mm-hmm. funny. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, it's not funny because it's sexist. It's funny, but it's also sexist. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I mean, one thing that sort of makes this episode uh, interesting to me is trying to figure out how much of what's happening is Troy mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, how much is just everything that's ugly in Elkar in yeah. Troy's body. Like, because there may be a part of Troy who, like, when she sits there, I think you actually mentioned it in the recap. There may be part of Troy, you know, who every time she sits there listening to somebody, it's just like, ah, enough. <laughs> exactly. But this exactly. might also just be all of the ugliness, um, the the sort of uh, armus that that was in uh, Elkar that got pushed off into Troy. It's kind of hard to know. It, it's a little bit of a naked now thing where you have to ask, like, if all the walls are down, mm-hmm. what actually comes out of these people? So, Well, yeah. it's a little bit of a naked now thing, except maybe it's not. I mean, mm-hmm. that could, I mean, Deanna actually says at the end of the episode, it's like watching a hologram of someone else. Yeah. So, I mean, we don't know if, if, if everything negative that's happening with her is all just all cars negativity, or if it's actually tearing down walls that she has herself. So I realize that this is the kind of logic you have to follow if you want to tell this exact story, the way it's told, but it, it does seem like it takes everyone a while to figure out that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, no one seems to be suspicious of anything other than Riker getting scratched until Picard gets stabbed. You know, I I think maybe, oh, well, do, does Deanna's erratic behavior have something to do with the new people on board? Well, maybe, maybe <laughs> we should look into that, you know. So, you know, but, but by the way, speaking of that, the knife that Deanna pulls, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's the Darmok knife. Is it so really? I, yeah, I wondered if there was a scene missing where she's just like wandering around the halls in the Enterprise and breaks into Picard's quarters to get that <laughs> knife. Like, what are the things that are important to Picard? Oh, here, I'll take this knife. And no, I don't need that flute. I but, was going to uh, say, if she's walking around next week playing a penny whistle, <laughs> right. then we'll then know. know. Yeah. Then you'll know. Um, I, I have to say, I really don't care about the situation on Rekag Saronia, uh, but I don't think that we're meant to. Mm-hmm. But what's weird is that we really don't have our bearings, I felt, in this episode. So where is Alcar coming from? And are Rekag and Saronia two cities on the same planet? It seems like it. Or is the planet just kind of split down the middle and you've got one hemisphere with the Rekags and one with the Saronians? And, and why didn't anybody before Picard think about meeting on neutral ground like it just seems like we're gonna throw anything that has to do with the negotiation the Raycags and Saronians into sort of the blender of the script and just yeah, yeah they're 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 negotiating it's it's people and they have to negotiate now let's get back to the rest of the story yeah they're they're well what I find interesting about that actually there were a couple things that I'm, mm-hmm. I like you I thought about it for maybe 20 seconds um, right, right. First of all, the meeting in a neutral space, they can't even decide who's going to sit where around the table. Right, so getting them to right. decide where they're going to go and if they share the same planet. I mean, it does seem kind of mm-hmm. silly to go to a different planet because, I mean, sure. they, they do share the same planet. 
What I actually found most interesting, though, is the only reason the Federation even cares is because it's um, messing up a trade route. Right. Right. Which I thought was kind of, first of all, to quote the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, space is big, really big. You got three dimensions. So, I mean, I'm not sure why, not sure why we have to go right (laughs) right by that. Go around. Yeah, exactly. Go up. (laughs) Go up. Well, there is no up, of course, but, you know, go that away. And uh, yeah, I, it's but it, the Federation's only into this. It's like yes, millions of people are dying, but yeah, we don't even have to go by there. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. So really, yeah. let them. Hey, uh, where did Riker go after Deanna scratched his face? Because he he tells Doctor <laughs> Crusher that happened last night. Was no one on duty in sick bay, or did he just think like I'm I'm Riker? I'll sleep it off. You know, th- this will be gone by morning. Right. You know. Well. He might have replicated some Bactine. The only problem is he didn't realize that replicated Bactine is really just for flavor. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't heal. And so the next day he's like, oh, I guess I actually have to go talk to the uh, yeah. medical professional. Right. Um, we have to point out that Worf truly is in that moment in uh, Raycag Seronia, the worst security guard in Starfleet history. He's literally <laughs> standing there with two guards holding him at gunpoint and taking his phaser. Yeah. yeah. Normally, normally you beat up on Worf and I defend him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This week I was just like, seriously, you don't even say anything. You don't even say anything when they're taking your weapon. Like Picard looks over. Yeah. And Worf's like, yeah, <laughs> right, right. that happened a while ago, actually. Sorry. I, when they got up in uh, act five, uh, Picard's like, beam him out of there. And Worf says, Captain, I'm sure they've reactivated the security field. And I wanted Picard to go, really? Like you were sure we were safe on the planet? <laughs> Like you were armed and ready? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's, why don't we run a scan to see whether they've actually done that? Because Oh, no, no, no. I still trust you completely, <laughs> Worf. I just, you know, <clears throat> yeah. Hey, I, I have a new idea. Um, since, you know, we were talking about transporters last week, why kill Deanna? <laughs> why not just keep her in the pattern buffer for a while? Yeah, because then uh, Crusher wouldn't get to kill Deanna. Oh, right. Yeah, I, that's what I it's kept all about. watching this yeah. episode with like, okay, so you're never going to be able to see this episode the same again after this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a darkness to Crusher in this episode. Yeah. She cannot wait to cut up that old lady. I mean, she just <laughs> absolutely can't. And she's like talking to everybody about it. Like she's sitting there with Jordy and, you know, he's like, so yeah, the record's a little weird between when she got here and, you know, when she died. Yeah. And Crusher looks at Jordy and says, of course, the best way to get the information I need would be to do an autopsy. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I wanted Jordy to say, you can't see my eyes, but I'm blinking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like right. Really nervously right now and uncomfortably. Right. Um, and then Crusher like finally gets to cut up the old lady and she's like, oh yeah, but it's still just, you know, nuts. And then she's like, so we're going to kill Deanna. And Riker's like, wait, we're going to kill Deanna? As if he's never seen an episode of Star Trek. Obviously, they're going to be able to bring her back. Of course, yeah. But uh, but then he's like, how how will you? And, you know, I wanted Crusher to be like, a pillow. What do you care? Get out. (laughs) She's a medical professional. She's got hypos full of everything. I mean, this Mm -hmm. was something that they were doing a mock time. A mock time they did this. I mean, Bones, like, you know, killed Kirk. Mm-hmm. That's the way it works. With a hypo. Yeah. And then brought him back yeah. because it's just a thing we do. But apparently Riker wakes up in a new world every day. 
I got one other. Well, in, in fairness, he is on a starship. He can actually wake up in a he new can, world every yeah, day. Yeah. Now that I think about it, he, but with no memory. Oh, but he does go through the transporter. So I guess. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. I did have one other question, okay. and I actually got you to do this for me earlier because I wanted to know. Right. Uh, so when we set up our record times, you and I, we live in a we live in the, you know an appified, a computerified, a, a, a connected world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When we set up our record times, I get a message on my phone from you confirming that the time was set. And when we either uh, change or cancel a record time, uh, we also get a similar message. It was actually weird because I said, hey, do me a favor. Cancel today's record because I'm bored of you. No, I said, hey, <laughs> do me a favor. Cancel today's record because I want to see what happened. Yeah. And my, my computer, my iPad, my iPhone, and my watch all like said, ah, you know, something happened, right? Yeah, right. So when Troy canceled all of that day's appointments, what happens? Hmm. Like, do they all get text messages at their workstations? <laughs> do, right. Does their communicator badge sort of vibrate? Hmm. My, my favorite thing, of course, is the thought that the computer, since most everything is done with audible commands, mm-hmm. that the computer just says out loud in front of everyone, hey, your counseling session's canceled. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Because like, HIPAA laws are so like 21st century. Uh, there's no shame. There's no shame in seeing the uh, ship's counselor. So, you know, people are probably <laughs> cool with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would imagine so. Oh, is this about that? Th- no, I said we weren't talking about that thing. No. <laughs> This is not about, I just, I just wanted to say, hey. (laughs) It occurs to me that older than you have ever been thing. It is true for all of you. It must be very difficult being ugly bags of mostly water. So it's good to see Troy victimized. <laughs> oh, God. Because <laughs> what's it been, like three weeks, maybe four? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't even know if that's a – I don't know how to approach that in this episode except to say, boy, that seems to happen to her a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not even a theme. It's just when we were talking earlier about, like, drawing a line – you know, through each character. You right. don't really get so much about character development from a lot of the characters as far as like, you know, from one week to the next they will be and then they will have grown from that and then they will have learned from that and then they will have moved on. Mm-hmm. But man, if somebody's if somebody's going to be taken over, if somebody's going to be violated in some way, um, it's going to be Troy. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know what else to add to that other than to say, yeah. yeah, I see the same thing. Yeah. Um, Which, I mean, and it's weird to talk about that in terms of this episode, because that is not a theme of this episode. Like, right. um, uh, was it Violations? Was that the one with Jev? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it was it called Violations? I can't remember. I mean, that was a theme of that episode. Yeah. And, and in a way, while it was tragic to see that happen, well, it was very tragic to see it happen, obviously, but I mean, that was a theme of the episode, so you kind of have to say, okay, well, that's going to happen to her. Happened to Riker as well. Can't remember who else it happened to in that episode, but it happened to a few people. Mm-hmm. In this episode, it's just sort of like, okay, well, okay, so somebody's going to be violated. Who's it going to be? I could flip a coin, but it's going to be Troy. Yeah. I mean, right. So, yeah, just, just we, and we can move on from that if you want to. I just thought it was worth noting that, uh, yeah, once again, our counselor, the caring, the caring part of our, the caring part of our body public, actually, now that I think about it, if we do, if we go with the idea that the enterprise is sort of a more nuanced presentation of humanity, whereas, you know, TOS was, was uh, just, you know, the Kirk, Spock and McCoy thing, we have many more mm-hmm. facets on next gen. 
Right. And and the part of us that cares, yeah, that's gonna get that's gonna get screwed. Oh, every yeah. time, every time. <laughs> yeah, there, there's hmm. a message. Just don't don't open your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> So uh, this is in this episode, we have one of those sci-fi things where an idea is given literal physical form on screen. Mm-hmm. So but it was interesting because we, we know for real that negative emotions have a way of breaking us down and, and you could say aging us, you know, or distracting us or, or making us not our complete selves. In this episode, those emotions literally make another person grow old prematurely. Which then seems a little weird that you just reverse that and then boom, she's back and she's got the hair and her skin looks nice again, you know, Mm. so a a little um, playing a little fast and loose with the physiology of it all. But but so what? I mean, I think we give them that in this episode to say just, well, that's the way it happens here. And we, we have to tell the story somehow. And if we're going to tell a Dorian Gray style story, then that's what has to happen. Yeah, you're being more forgiving than I am. Why didn't it happen to it? Why didn't it happen to Seb Maylor then? Yeah, why didn't she turn young when she died? Yeah, yeah, because she was thirty years old according to uh, according to Doctor yeah. Crusher. Right, yeah. right. So uh, let's talk about Alcar a bit. Um, I'm just going to say that he's a slime ball. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, unfairly using other people, and he he tries to justify his intrusion by some nonsense about the ends justifying the means. Really glad to see. Uh, Picard call him out on that. Um, we have to ask, though, I mean, because I, I think at least for a, a split second, there is the idea proposed. Is it ethical for one person to die if it will save millions? We know Deanna Troy, but we don't know the people of Rekag Saronia. We've talked before about this ethical dilemma of the, the runaway train and, and you control the switch. Does, you know, do you throw the switch so the train will hit one person or five people? But what if you know that one person and you don't know the five other people? This kind of uh, made a little more relevant currently with the question of self-driving cars, that there is an ethical question about how self-driving cars will protect themselves and the drivers inside, given, let's say, it a no-win scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, if a computerized brain in a car is presented with the idea, well, one path will lead to this amount of potential injury. This other path will also lead to injury. How do we weigh out which one is acceptable or not? I think the other question that we have to ask, though, is would it be different if Troy or somebody else that we know had volunteered for the psychic connection? Maybe even knowing that it would lead to their death. You know, maybe if uh, Leva at the end had volunteered for that position in order to save the people on Raycag Saronia. Now, at that point, it's irrelevant because those people had already reached their agreement. But at some point leading up to that, if that's truly what needed to happen in order to broker a peace, then are we OK with somebody sacrificing themselves in that way to let it happen? Of course we are. Okay. Picard yeah. did it. Picard yeah. did it with Sarek, because Sarek's going mad, Yeah. but these negotiations have to happen, and so Picard's like, I'll do it. I-, I will take on your madness. I will take on all of the insanity that's been bottled up in you for 200 years, you mm-hmm. you, you thing that bottles up emotions to you, 
and um, <laughs> and we're okay with that. I mean, it's dangerous for our captain, but it actually shows a it shows a fortitude uh, mm-hmm. uh, on the part of our captain. I I actually miss the the world that I used to live in, mm-hmm. um, where the ends didn't justify the means, and yeah. I seem to remember a time when most of us thought that there were lines we didn't cross. Now, you know, you can say the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. I get that. Mm-hmm. But I think we had this idea that you tried not to, you know, violate someone else to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. Um, I will be 100% honest. The problem that I'm having with this episode is I cannot untangle it from things that are going on around us, even as we speak. Yeah. Um, ideas that are being presented about torture, because, you know, there are some bad dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, things that we're hearing about denying people rights and permissions that that have been granted, and you can yeah. argue about whether they should have been, but they have been. Yeah, um, you know, because something bad might happen if we don't. Um, the idea that we're going to do a bad thing because something worse might happen is 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 antithetical, uh, certainly to to the Federation. And to Starfleet, or it should be anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Picard tells um, Alcar, you cannot justify some wantonly immoral act because you think that it's connected to some higher purpose. Yeah. I'm actually reminded of Riva in, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the episode. You, you probably know. Oh, but, uh, yeah. Uh, he, silence. Silence has lease. Yeah. Where silence has lease. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so Riva is the one who, who, is, uh, who is deaf. But he has these people that travel with him, and then those people uh, end up getting killed, actually. And his immediate thought is, well, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. But then when he thought he was useless, when he thought there was nothing else he could do, he found a way to negotiate anyway. Right. Alcar is taking the easiest of easy ways, and he's trampling on somebody else to do that. He's not trying to do things properly, and he's not even sure it's going to work. I mean, we don't have – there's no guarantee that this guy is going to be able to do the thing that he wants to do. There's no guarantee of success, right? Right. But he's going to go ahead and kill somebody else so that he can at least try. And that's wrong, it seems to me, because mm-hmm. he, he could still try and feel bad some days. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because that really seems to be what we're coming down to. Unless he's a terribly vile person most of the time, in which case, why would he even care about trying to get his negative emotions out? He would just, you know, go in and screw up the negotiations anyway. Yeah. Uh, Jean-Luc Picard says to him, you are a coward, Alcar. You exploit the innocent because you're unwilling to shoulder the burdens of unpleasant emotions. <laughs> and he's dead on. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, mm-hmm. and take your needs of the few stuff and stick it. I mean, if somebody mm-hmm. wants to, you know, if somebody wants to volunteer to take on these negative emotions for him, they become great people at that point. Maybe, although you could still argue, well, no, just deal with your emotions. I mean, that was, again, I think you mentioned the enemy within earlier. Well, I'm, I'm about that, to mention that you're it going yeah. to. Sorry yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah. I, this is why I shouldn't read ahead. Um, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, in The Enemy Within, we decided that the whole thing was about, I mean, y- you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both. And there you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, I mean, uh, uh, this episode sort of made me ill on a few yeah. different levels. Actually. Sure. Well, let's talk about the enemy within because it's a, a slightly different version of of this topic here. So, yeah, Agro Kirk was a sexual predator who lashed out at others as soon as they discovered what he was doing. 
<laughs> Alcar is dumping all of his negative emotions and impulses on others rather than dealing with them himself. He he hasn't had the Kirk moment of reconciling that part of himself. He hasn't had the opportunity to hug it out or he hasn't taken the, the impetus to try to sort this out on his own. Um, so, yeah, I definitely thought of The Enemy Within when analyzing this episode. You say he hasn't had that opportunity, but I would argue that he actually has that opportunity every time this happens. It's mm, just, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. at this point now, it's but he gotten takes so, the easy way out, obviously. Yeah, right. At this yeah. point, it's gotten so bad that he actually can't do that anymore because it will kill him. Right. Right. And and I guess, I mean, that could be a metaphor for all of the things that we avoid in our lives. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, just like there's a great movie called what was the movie? Well. It's illustrated beautifully in Catch Me If You Can, actually, with with the the stuff that Frank Abagnale's father, played by Christopher Walken, mm-hmm. um, he he lives in a world of his own, and and it and it ends up sort of falling apart around him, but he still sort of like has this everything's fine mentality. Um, everything's fine is another movie actually, or everything is fine. It's an Italian film. They remade it for the, for the U S Robert De Niro was in it, but it wasn't as good as the Italian version. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, just, it's like putting blinders on is, is pretty much all Alcar has done, Mm -hmm. but he's gotten, he's gotten to a point now that, I mean, he would have to have a psychological break if, if he actually did, you know, take all of those negative emotions back on or, you know, just turn a hundred and die immediately. (laughs) Right. Well, either way, you know, you're good with it. Um, now, if we get to the gender politics of the whole thing, and and I, I feel like that's a whole other episode, <laughs> um, but I, I think there's a conversation to be had here on on all sides. So back to the Kirk thing with um, uh, the enemy within. I, I wondered if there's a bit of uh, a condemnation of male sexual stereotypes here. He's aggressive and jealous and forceful and uncaring and and all of this stuff that were the truly horrible negative parts of Kirk. That's what we see in uh, in Alcar. There's also the female side here, though, which now technically it's his emotions, but it's played out through the women around him who then become super jealous and nagging and uncontrollable and hyper emotional and, and all of this stuff. I, I mean, I, I feel like there's a whole other thing to be said about this episode just based around those topics. You know, when you and I were talking to um, the, the women from Women at Warp uh, and we were talking about the enemy within and kind of the important message in that. And they're the ones who brought up, they said, yeah, but look at negative Kirk. Negative Kirk is the one who has the sex drive. You know, what What are we saying about the male sex drive by just putting that on negative Kirk? So it was kind of um, an interesting way of looking at that episode that you and I had not really considered before. But I, I definitely thought that when watching this, that we we really make a point of saying that these are negative traits that he needs to get rid of in order to be able to do his job. But then when it's sort of filtered through the women around him, it becomes something else entirely. Just this, this completely over-the-top caricature of the nagging, uncontrollable woman who, who is fueled by jealousy at all yeah. times. It struck me as a bit of confused writing, though, because, 
he's not Adonis, mm-hmm. right? True. So, yeah, so yeah. they get all the negative. And I'm not saying there's not, you know, I'm not saying that different people aren't attracted to different types of people for different reasons. But everybody on whom he puts these negative emotions is attracted to him, is yeah, insanely right. jealous of anybody else that gets anywhere near him. And right. so what is that? I mean, are we supposed to believe that this is actually the sexiest guy around and they just got somebody who looks like George Romney to play him? <laughs> or are we, or is it his own emotions that do want to get back to him? And mm-hmm. I mean, either way, it just kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's actually hard to find. It's hard to figure out what's, is this just Troy now with her walls torn down or is this some weird byproduct of, uh, of Alcar's emotions wanting yeah. to be part of Alcar's life again, wanting to yeah. be, wanting to be part of that whole, although why would the emotions want to be part of that whole? You would actually need Alcar to do that. Mm-hmm. I got to come back to sexism. I apologize. Kind of. There are weird moments of levity in this episode that just aren't funny. Um, yeah. you know, like she says, wow, you have, you have real control of your body and mind. And Alcar's like, yeah, I do. And Troy's <laughs> like, yeah, I do too. Except sometimes <laughs> I can't get my body to do what I want it to. Ah, uh, cause yeah. you know, and yeah. then Alcar's mom is senile says Riker. Uh, we could all end up that way someday. <laughs> it's not really sexist. I was just like, you're weird, man. That's yeah. like a, cause then he laughs like, ah, we could all, you know, go nuts. Yeah. And um, and the, yeah, the other one that really bothered me was actually at the end of whatever. Okay, we're going to do the performance reviews. We're going to do mm-hmm. the performance reviews, but I'm going to reward myself with two ice cream sundaes. <sighs> you know, for an empath, Alcar is not terribly empathetic. So Ambassador Vess Alcar, he's a man of the people, Ken, man of the people. He's got it all under control, doing such a good job at it. But when we look at his story in retrospect here, do we think, do we think that the episode holds up man of the people on Next Generation? Ken, what have you got? Do I think the episode holds up? Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I want to know. You know what I like about Buffy the Vampire Slayer? <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Uh, do I do I sense some evasion here? Yeah. No, no, actually. Okay. Um, what I like about Buffy the Vampire Slayer is things happen. I would actually say this is true of Joss Whedon in general. Um, things happen and they stay happened. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes a season later, something will come back. Something that seemed like totally insignificant when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet it ends up being uh, either pivotal or at the very least people remember it. Crusher says that Sev Maylor had the system of a 30-year-old, but when she dies, uh, she still looks 90. But when Troy lives, she goes back to looking her age from when the show started. Mm-hmm. It's gotten to the point now, it's, and oh, and by the way, we came back to the, we've only got a minute to save her. We've only got a minute yeah, and a right. half. We've only got a minute, and we're coming down right. to the last 30 seconds. I mean, obviously, she wasn't going to walk around looking 90 forever, but she should have walked around looking 90 forever. I mean, I'm I'm kind of I'm getting I'm getting to a point now of <laughs> having a hard time with nothing carrying from one week to the next. I'm having a hard time with sometimes nothing carrying from one scene to the next. Um, 
And then there's just a bunch of other clumsiness in the writing that we talked about in the last segment. So yeah. uh, to me personally, no. This, the, the episode as a production doesn't hold up. Yeah, makeup's fine. And yeah, we get to see, uh, we get to see um, Marina Sirtis go, you know, nuts, which is, which is good. I mean, she's good in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but overall, I just I don't, I don't feel like when we can point to three or four other episodes that address some of the same topics in a much better way. Sure. Then I feel like I I personally have to say this episode doesn't hold up, at least for me. What about you? Yeah, um, I feel a similar way about this. I mean, I I agree with you. Good on Marina Sirtis. You know, we've Mm -hmm. we've talked before about how some female characters on Star Trek haven't had a lot to do um, or how maybe just maybe they weren't written to their full potential. And, And we've heard about this since TOS. You know, uh, when you have women like Nichelle Nichols saying, well, I was going to quit because I had nothing to do except, say, hailing frequencies are open. Or then you had Denise Crosby quitting because, hey, I've got nothing to do except, you know, stand behind the horseshoe and say they're, you know, they're firing their weapons and that's it. Mm -hmm. So this at least we've given an actor something to do that has some weight to it and some range to it. so for her, you know, the last couple of seasons and now this show that there is a lot more to Troy than just standing on the bridge and pointing out the obvious to Captain Picard. Um, this show, unfortunately, has the, the big, big downside of the B plot. And granted, the plots are very much tied together, but there's really no time for a B plot, meaning the the political intrigue uh, on the planet. So the best stuff is with Deanna and Alcar, but we have to give Alcar a purpose and his purpose, like the entire situation turns out to be, um, I'm going to negotiate a treaty. Things are really bad here. Hey, I fixed all the problems. Mm. You know, I mean, that's, that is the summary of how that whole thing happens. So that, that's a little clunky in the writing. Um, but there's a lot that's clunky here in the writing. Uh, I, I think, all the actors are fine. Um, I think they're doing the best they can with the script here. And I think overall, it's pretty well produced. It doesn't feel cheap or, or you know, they're, they're not relying on sort of lame camera tricks. I actually think that for the time, the morphing effect is pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good. Uh, the makeup is pretty good, pretty impressive. Um but all in all, that just sort of the, the pieces don't add up to make something great, even though there are great pieces in this episode. So, no, I have to I have to say that it doesn't quite hold up. But there might be some messages, morals and meanings here to explore. So uh, anything you picked up there? Well, all the stuff I was talking about in the last segment about the ends not justifying the means. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and I know there there are people who disagree with that. And I get that there are mm-hmm. people who disagree with that. I, I, I want us to be as good as we can be. I mean, and and mm-hmm. that may that may sound idealistic. That may sound hippy dippy. But I don't understand. I don't understand what your. I don't know what good your moral code is if it only works sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's really what it comes down to, I suppose. We're, you know, we believe in 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 treating people fairly. We believe in in peace. I mean, Alcar is going there for peace, but somebody's going to have to die to get it. 
And I'm not talking about war. Again, I understand sometimes we have to fight wars. I completely get that. I understand acting in self-defense. I completely get that. I'm not somebody who says there's never any reason to kill ever. But Alcar's killing on the hope that maybe he'll be able to do something. Alcar's doing something bad, hoping that maybe this will end up being a better thing. And and there's no guarantee that it won't be. And in the meantime, he's, I mean, he's... He's as bad as, as the as the people he's trying to stop. Heck, he's probably worse than the people he's trying to stop. We don't even know why they're fighting. They may actually have, like, real reasons uh, that they're fighting each other, although we're given to understand that they don't since the negotiations pretty much end in about 30 minutes. But, I mean, it's possible they have real reasons to fight each other. Alcar, on the other hand, is just he's going to kill because that's going to make it easier. It's going to make it easier for him to do what he wants to do if he just goes ahead and uh, and violate somebody else's uh, life. Yeah. And so, and we are told directly in this episode, this isn't even like a private little war where we're left at the end going, wow, did they do the right thing? I mean, we're told uh, Picard faces the camera and says, you're a coward. Stop it. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and so I, you know, if you miss that message. Uh, go back and watch Act 4, I guess it is, because Picard will tell you exactly what the message of this episode is. At least one of them. Were there others, sir? Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with you. It, it, it's nice. Star Trek is heavy-handed sometimes, but sometimes it has to be, mm-hmm. because that's sort of what makes Star Trek Star Trek, is um, being a reflection of what we feel about our our values. Um, and to have Picard be the moral center of the show and tell the audience by telling Alcar, this is what we stand for. This is what we believe. It, it, it's kind of nice to see that <laughs> from time to time. So um, I, I completely agree with you. I, I think, you know, there are some other messages kind of floating around in there. Um Maybe there's sort of a, a weird negative message here of, you know, beware the smooth talking, mature statesman or, or, or whomever. But the, the smooth talking guy has got it all under control because underneath it all, it's a, it's a cesspool of negative emotions kept barely in check. Um, but other than that, I wondered if, it, if we're back to a little bit of realm of fear. You know, Alcar hasn't faced his fear, the biggest threat being his own negative impulses and emotions. He's living a lie about who he is, and he has never, ever come to terms with that. So there's a little bit of a parallel with, um, you know, with what we've seen before. I feel like you're kind of assuming that that's true about him, though. I mean, what he knows actually is it's just easier to not deal with it. He's not just avoiding it. He's actually, you know, shoving it off onto other people. Yeah, he is actively pushing it off to other people. But we don't know. There may have been some opportunity, some way for that to not be the case. But well, yeah, but every morning when he wakes up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go out yeah. on a limb and say, yes, there's been every opportunity for him to not do that. I mean, it's yeah. now gotten to a point because when he's finally, you know, when he finally does have to face it, it does kill him. I mean, when he finally does have to deal with it, it does kill him. But, I mean, didn't he say, I found at one point that I could do this? Mm-hmm. Oh. So he just kept doing it. Yeah. So there was a time when he didn't have to, and he knew he didn't have to, but then he went ahead and did. Yeah. So messages hold up. I know we don't usually ask that question, but, I uh, well, I, I'm asking oh. so that I can answer it. Yeah. No, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Critically so. Uh, yes. And I think, you know, a lot of people would uh, would agree. 
and a lot of people would apparently disagree too. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the way? Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. All the great stuff that Roddenberry is doing, not only from an entertainment perspective, but you can find cool products there and you can find out about the very good real world work being done by the Roddenberry Foundation. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Relics. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at Warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at K-I-Theory.com. That was hard work. I am going to reward myself with two ice cream sundaes. And transmission. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.